Let me take you to a, the Word of God. It's what I, uh, I love to do the most. Let's turn to Romans, the 15th chapter. And I want you to read with me uh, a place in Scripture that at first glance, I don't think you might notice the, uh, the magnitude of what Paul is saying in this statement that he is making to the people in uh, Rome. Now, we learned uh, last week and throughout the weeks that, that Paul is not in Rome yet. He had been praying, he had been wanting to go to Rome, but he's not there yet. And what I want you to do is, with me, I want you to see if you can see what makes this such a unique place in Scripture, why it so captured my heart. In Romans chapter 15, starting with verse 20, I want to read to verse 25 with you. Paul says this in verse 20, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written in Isaiah 52, by the way, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now, I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. I hope you've seen it. If you hadn't, I'm going to build my message upon just a few words that Paul made in these verses. I want you to notice, as we go through this message, how the Lord God hindered Paul from doing what Paul had longed to do. And what I'm going to do is try to share with you how sometimes the Lord does not answer our prayers as rapidly or as accurately as we want. You know, there is a mantra across these United States of ours today. It is, I want what I want when I want it. And that's not the Christian life, folks. The Christian life is we should want what the Lord wants when the Lord wants it within our lives. That's not an easy lesson to learn, but it is a great lesson to comprehend and it's a great lesson to appropriate within your life if, in fact, you can do this. Key is yours and my obedience unto the Lord. He longs for your obedience perhaps more than anything else. So let's have a word of prayer and let's take a look at these verses one by one. Father, I do pray that you will bless us as we get to study your word. Would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law? And Father, I beg of you that you would move me aside so that I would not hinder what you want to say to all of us here this morning. I pray you will bless this time, Father God. Teach us from the lifestyle of Paul. Let us see him clearly, Lord God, and how he was so obedient to you, no matter the cost. And so bless us, please, Father. Bless those families who had people that served in the armed services, and especially those who lost their loved ones. 
others who have come home just really bent and bruised. I just pray for each one, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, I'm going to tell you what you already know. We're going to start it off by this. This premise right here. Paul was a pioneer. He was an apostle who was a missionary. He was an apostle who was an evangelist. He was an apostle who was a church planter. But as he said in verses 20 and 21, he desired to preach the gospel where Christ was not already named. He chose not to build upon another person's foundation, as it says in verses 20 and 21. But Paul explained in the book of Acts, in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, he explained when he was in Corinth that he planted, Paul, Paul says in verse 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I plant, Apollos watered. Now, Apollos, as you learn from Scripture, especially reading through Corinth, the book of Corinthians, he was a, an amazing uh, orator. He was a great teacher of the Word of God. So Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but, he wrote at the end of that, God caused the growth. That is key in your life and my life. It is the Lord God who causes anything and everything in our lives. Without Him, you and I can do absolutely nothing. It is everything that God allows in our life. As we learned in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would just simply walk in them. God has already prepared ministry for you. God has already prepared things for you that, that, that you cannot even fathom. And He has prepared for you to have success in that. Now, godly success. We'll, we'll talk about this further. Not worldly success. Worldly success is totally different than godly success. So without our Lord, we learn that we can do absolutely nothing. And so Apollos, Paul said, built upon Paul's foundation, which fulfilled the calling of both men. You see, God, it is still his plan that some believers lay a foundation by bringing unbelievers to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. They are called evangelists. They go out and win people to Christ. Then they bring them into the church so that others can mature and build up those new converts by ministering the Word of God to them. Those people are called pastors. And so there is room within the body of Christ for those who are evangelists bringing people to Christ and those who build up those who have come to Christ into maturity in their faith. There are people, though, in this world that you and I live that have absolutely no true knowledge of Christ nor the gospel. I am shocked by how many really don't know about our Savior. And they can be found anywhere and everywhere that you go. They're in every country, in every city, in every town, in every neighborhood. And God does not call you as a believer to be necessarily an evangelist. He might, but He doesn't necessarily call all of us to be evangelists. But He does call every single one of us 
to be a witness for His name. That is a responsibility that all of us have. And, and some of us are, are maybe bold, you know, can... I've always been told that I'll, I'll share Christ with anything that moves. That's kind of what the Lord God has given to me. But there are some that you shouldn't try to be a, a, a carbon copy of every other Christian. We all have our particular style. We all have our particular gifts. And the Bible says that, that Paul says that even giving someone a cool glass of water sometimes is sufficient. And so you don't have to be like everybody else, but you should be a witness for your Lord and Savior, a light, if you would, unto this world in which we live. Salt to this world in which we live. Therefore, it should be your desire, your desire, my desire, our desire, that the unsaved persons that we come in contact with be given the opportunity to hear and understand the gospel, to hear and see Jesus Christ as their only hope for their salvation in order to turn from sin to the Savior. That ought to be your position as a, a believer in Jesus Christ. To be an instrument of God. To bring His good news to the world in which you live. And then watch, because he, He'll cause the growth. You don't have to worry about it. You just be faithful. I want you to notice something very powerful, though, about what we just read out of verses 20 to 25, especially verses 22 through 25. I want you to read it with me again. Paul says this in verse 22. Look, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. Verse 23. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have, I want you to watch this now, because this is key to this study. For many years, for many years, Paul has had a longing to come and see them. So he says in verse 24, whenever he goes to Spain, I hoped to see you in passing, he says in verse 24, so that, that you may help me on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now, since I can't come to you, now I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I will serve the saints there. I want you to note something very interesting. It was Paul's desire to visit Rome, it says in verse 23, for many years. But God had not given Paul that opportunity, at least not right away. This in and of itself, verse 23, ought to, ought to tell you and me something about how we are to live out our faith, our ministry, our lives, our desires. I want you to think and remember about this place. Verse 23. Just because you and I, just because we are a child of God, doesn't always mean that we will get or be sent or be given everything we want or ask for. We might not ever get it for that matter. And even though Paul wanted to go to Rome, God had other plans for him. And what were they? don't know for sure we don't know for sure but we do know this paul was content to fulfill god's plan rather than his own and so i ask you how about you how about us as a church are we willing to seek the will of god and fulfill his plans rather than our own in your life 
Are you willing to seek God's will for you rather than your own plans be fulfilled? Verse 23 tells us this. For many years, it was Paul's plan to go to Spain, verse 22 to 24. But we have no record in history that Paul ever made it to Spain. Now, we don't know for sure that he didn't make it. We don't know for sure that he did. But this is what is so important to it. Paul was obedient to the Lord to wait upon God's timing for him to make any kind of move. You see, for Paul, we need to get to the same place as he did, where a no answer from our Lord is just as good and valid for and with us as the yes answers we might get or the wait, wait, wait upon my leading. I want you to see something about Paul. This is what, to me, set him apart. This is why I can't wait to meet Paul. Look with me, please, at Acts. Acts is the book just before Romans, to the left. Turn to the left, back to Acts, chapter 16, please. Hold your place here in Romans 15, because we're just going to look at a few, just an incident or two in the life of Paul. Acts, chapter 16, I want to start with verse 6. I want you to watch Paul's reaction when God enforces his timing and his purpose upon Paul. Verse 6. You there? Acts 16.6. They passed through the Phygian and the Galatian regions. Now watch. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia... Did we read that correctly? Are you telling me that they, that Paul and his company were forbidden by God the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia? Doesn't seem to make sense to me. God has called us to reach the world. And yet he is stopping Paul and his party and forbid them to preach the word in Asia. So what does Paul do? He goes in verse 7, After they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bethania. And the Spirit of Jesus Christ did not permit them. Now, wait a minute. They couldn't preach in Phygian and Galatian. They couldn't, they couldn't preach there in Asia. And now they can't preach in Mycenae and Bethania. The Lord didn't permit them. So, verse 8. Passing by Mycenae, they came to Troas. So he's going to now go to Troas to preach the word. And while he is going to Troas, verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we find that here's the deal. Paul is going to this one region. He is going, but he is forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word there, which makes no sense to me at all. But I am obedient to it. That's okay. If that's what God wants, that's what God wants. So Paul then goes this way, and he is now forbidden by Jesus Christ to preach the word in this area. So Paul says, okay, can't do it here, can't do it there, I'm going there. And on the way there, he has a vision that they are calling him to Macedonia. And what does Paul do? You're going to look. Look at verse 10. It is so fantastic. Watch. Paul had seen the vision. What did he do? Immediately. I mean, folks, immediately 
he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called them to preach the gospel there in Macedonia. You see the obedience? You see the willing heart of Paul? He wants to follow our Lord's leading without any question and without any regard to his particular timing, his particular place, his particular purpose. It is meaningless to Paul. He wanted to follow the will of God. If you go back to Romans 15, we didn't read about it. We will probably next week. But look at verse 32. It's ahead for us. And we'll see the underlying successful theme of Paul's life. We'll see what makes his life such a success. It says in verse 32 of Romans 15, So that I may come to you in joy. How? By the will of God. And find refreshing rest in your company. There is for Paul joy, refreshment, rest. Why? Because he knew that he was in the will of God. If you want Paul's, no, the peace of God, the joy of God, refreshment and the rest that God gives, then the answer is simple. It is really simple, but it is complex. Because you need to find obedience within your own life to follow the will of God above your own will. So now you might ask, and rightfully so, what is God's will for me? That is a valid question. You need to seek it out. Because His will for you isn't the same as His will for them or His will for me. You need to find the will of God and follow it with all of your heart. It is imperative. That's why I beg of you here at the church... Find your gift. Find out what your spiritual gift is and use it unto the Lord and you will find peace. You will find joy. You will find refreshment and you will find rest. People have asked me over and over again, I'm 76, why are you still so enthusiastic? Why are you so passionate about preaching? It's because that's what I've been called to do and I don't do much else. I just do that. I am surrounded by wonderful, wonderful leaders of this church who, who understand what it is to take us in a, in, a, in a great way. I have never been so blessed by the leadership of any church as I am in this place right now, this church, with David Briggs and Rob Selleck and, 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 and Brian Thompson. There are three men. All four of us know where our gifts lie. No, we, we meet together every Monday night at my house, and we do not bump into one another because we understand what each other's gift is and we use it to glorify the Lord. And there's no agenda, no agenda that any of us have above trying to follow the will of God for us as a church. It is, it, it is the most enjoyment I've ever had. And they have set me free, as you have, to study the Word of God and to enjoy doing what I do. See, for me to study, I can't study in little chunks. I've got to study in big chunks. It's just the way I am. I, I think it's because I'm not that smart. Because when I sit down and I read something, I think about it, and I think, what does that mean? And I, I go to different commentaries, and then I start to get a flavor of what is taking place. And then I start praying and asking the Lord. And I'll go, and I'll get up in the morning and say, let's say 6 o'clock, and I'll, I'll just freshen up, and I'll put on some sweats, and I'll go into front of my computer and my Bible and I'll start reading and before I know it sometimes it's three four o'clock in the afternoon it just 
It's so easy to sit there and study the Word of God in that fashion. It's just the way I build. And those men make sure that I fulfill that for my ministry, but for the ministry for our church. And that's what you need to understand. What's God's will for you? The moment I came to Christ, way back in March of 1973, the first thing I wanted to do was to tell my friends about knowing Jesus Christ. I don't know why. I just thought, if I can go to heaven, anybody can go to heaven. I need to tell these guys this. And I would tell my friends. In fact, I, the first thing I did when I went home is I gathered my mother to get dad together in the kitchen where we always sat. And we sat in the kitchen and I started to share with them about the wonders of Christ. And I did a miserable job. I mean miserable. Because I made both of my parents feel guilty like they didn't raise me well. And they didn't do a good job because I told them they got to come to Christ and, and all of that. And, and then when I got a chance to share with my mom and dad and my sister, and I went to San Diego in her house and I shared with her and she, she kicked me out of her house. She said, I don't ever want you back here again. Never want you back here again. I don't ever mention the name Jesus Christ in my house ever again because who do you think you are? See, the problem was she watched me grow up. She knew she was a better person than me. And for me to tell her that she needed something to make her better, oh, that didn't go over very well. People have asked me, especially men on Wednesday morning, you know, I, I've never finished the story. When I went left there, I left. She actually, you left. She actually kicked me out of her house actually out my dad said don't be so mean out i want him out so i left and i'm driving home to to and i'm five freeway and i'm crying like a baby and i pull over the side of the road and i said lord i said i want my sister and my mom and dad to come to christ more than i can tell you and and then it dawned on me i said lord it, it doesn't have to be me does it and i said father i said bring someone into their lives someone into their lives to change their lives and I never finished the story, I guess, because the guys asked me, but my sister, someone came into her life, a friend of hers, a woman friend of hers her age, and came into her life who was a born-again believer and went to a wonderful church. And she got my sister and my, my brother-in-law going to their church. They both came to Christ, and he became a deacon. He died just recently, and he was a deacon in a church, and she started having Bible studies in, the, in their home, and their lives are changed. And now we talk about the Lord as much as anything else. The one thing that she kicked me out of the house of, now she's fully behind me on. She came to know Christ. Find out the will of God for you. Find out your calling. You're going to find great joy. You're going to find great peace. You're going to find refreshment. I believe that's the reason I can do what I do at my age and still have a passion for it and still can't wait for next weekend. I mean, I, I love doing what I do. This place in Scripture, Romans 15, reveals accurately the attitude and the purpose of a believer who wholly lives their lives within the knowledge of the will of God. I beg that for you. I, I pray that for you with all my heart. But I want you to first note this. Paul's life was centered in obedience. It was centered in obedience. He was fully obedient to God's divine call. He was fully obedient to God's timetable for him. He was fully obedient to God's purpose for his life. You see, Christianity in its core is quite simple. It's complex. It's like a yin and a yang, I guess you could say. It's, if, it's simple if you are willing and desiring to be obedient. 
This is why I believe where we are in Scripture is as important a place as you and I will ever find. Paul knew, as verse 32 in chapter 15 of Romans tells us, he knew the will of God. He found joy in the will of God. And he knew his call. In Romans chapter 15, verse 16, he knew that he, Paul, was to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And in Acts, when Paul first came to the Lord on the road to Damascus, when he, was, when he was on his donkey and he got knocked off his donkey, a blind light hit him and he couldn't see. And he says, Who art thou, Lord? And he says, It is me whom you've been persecuting. And then he told him to go into the city called uh, Damascus to a road called Straight and wait. He would hear instructions. And then the Lord went to a man by the name of Ananias. And he said to Ananias, I want you to go to the street called Straight and I want you to find a man called Saul. And I want you to tell him this. And you can see the argument between Ananias a little bit and the Lord. Ananias saying, not really saying this in Scripture, but you can almost read into it. Ananias saying, Lord, this is the guy that's been putting some of us to death. This is the guy that has persecuted us, sent some of our family and friends into, into prison. Rumor is he's blind. Let's keep him that way. But the Lord said, no, go. And here's what the Lord said to Ananias. The Lord said to him, Ananias, go, because Paul is a chosen instrument of mine. Can you believe that statement in and of itself? Here's Paul that persecuted, killed Christians, and yet God Almighty called him a chosen instrument of his. You know something? You and I are too. We are chosen instruments of our Lord. I'm going to prove it to you in a moment. You know what else Paul knew besides knowing that he was a chosen instrument of the Lord? The next verse that Ananias said to Paul, he said, This the Lord also told me to tell you, Paul. And that is this, Acts chapter 9, now verse 16. I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And sure enough, Paul understood that. Because in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 to 23, he said this, I behold, Paul speaking, now behold, I am bound in spirit and I am on my way to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there except, next verse, except, at least Paul knew something, that the Holy Spirit has solemnly testified to me that in every city what awaits me are bonds and afflictions. I don't know about you, but if I was Paul, I wouldn't travel so much. I mean, he says, in every city, I know this, I, what's waiting me are bonds and afflictions. Because I love you so much, and this is the third time I've made this statement this weekend, once last night's Saturday service, once this morning, and now to you. Because I love you so much, I am compelled to tell you this. You too have been called by God to be an instrument of His. Yippee! But you too, called by God, have been called to suffer for His name's sake. Bummer. We have been both. I want you to watch. Not my words, but the words of Scripture. And I could have chosen so many other places. It'll be up on the board. I, I'm going to read through them kind of quickly. I don't know if you'll be able to turn to every one of them. But it's Second Corinthians 1.5. Philippians 1.29, 1 Peter 2.21. Let's read them. For 2 Corinthians 1.5. It says, For just as the sufferings, 
the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is in abundance through Christ. So we see in that verse, there is the suffering which comes in abundance and also the comfort from God which comes in abundance. Anybody of us, any one of us who have been in ministry understand that. The suffering, abundance, the joy and the comfort of God in abundance. Philippians 1.29 For to you it has been granted for the sake of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His name's sake. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. Suffering. You see with me, the rewards are mixed in with the trials, the sufferings. God does not sugarcoat the Word of God. He doesn't sugarcoat our walk with Him. And so... He, you and I ought not to be surprised at any difficulties that might come our way. I know there are some preachers that want to preach, come to Christ and everything will be fine. Come to Christ and you'll be a bed of roses. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. Come and trust in Christ. That's a bunch of baloney. They want to say that to you so that uh, I don't know why. I can't read their motives. But more than likely, when you hear something like that on the radio, right after that will be, now if you would like to support this ministry, you know, blah, 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 blah. They don't want to tell you that you're going to suffer for the cause of Jesus Christ because they can hear the radios being clicked off all over the United States. You haven't walked out yet, but that's good. But you need to know the truth. You see, Peter warns us, Beloved, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, great verse. Beloved, talking to believers, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, as if you're the only one that suffers. No, we all do, to one degree or another. All of us suffer. And God has told us that that is a part of our responsibility. No, it's a part of our blessing as believers in Jesus Christ. A faithful follower of our Lord knows that true success can only be obtained as, as a person wholly accepts God's divine calling and wholly commits his heart, his mind, his time, his abilities, his spiritual gifts for fulfilling that call. I'm pleading for you. I'm pleading for you to be blessed to follow after God's call for you. And worldly success and or worldly failure cannot be your criteria or your measuring stick. God does not measure your life and its successes or its failures, as the world does. The world looks at success and failure. What God looks at is pure and simple. Your obedience. That's what counts. Your obedience is what is, is critical for you as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ. To walk with Him regardless of the cost. And also, may I say this to you. Genuine success can sometimes fail from trying to do more than what we have been called to do. Paul, for instance, did not try to do the work of several apostles. He didn't. He only did the work which the Lord God had specifically called him to do. But I want to give you a much better example. I want to give you the example of none other than Jesus Christ himself. You see, sometimes... 
we can get busy unto the Lord and get so busy that we miss what we're really supposed to do. It's like I explained to you about the four of us that meet every Monday with Dave and Rob and Brian and myself. We all have a niche. We all know what our niche is. And we don't try to do more than what God has called us to do. And in so doing, there is a joy that fills that room. I, I can only tell you I've never had such joy. But let's look at our, our, our prime example, Jesus Christ. Jesus focused in on his, the will of his Father. If you notice, everything he did, he did by the will of his Father. Even though he did that, Jesus Christ did not cure every illness that was in Palestine. He could have. He could have. He could have just said, cure everybody. And they would have all been cured, but he didn't. Jesus Christ, although he walked through all of these areas, he did not uh, preach to every Jew, nor did he preach to every Gentile either. He preached to those who came in contact with him. He didn't go out of his way. Yet, after only three years in ministry, Three years. Our Lord was in His ministry for three years. He said this to His Father when He prayed to the Father in John chapter 17, verse 4, the high priestly prayer. Jesus Christ uttered these words, Father, I glorify You on the earth, having accomplished the work which You have given Me to do. Three years. He accomplished everything that the Father had for Him to do. And when he went to the cross, in John chapter 19, verse 30, he uttered three most magnificent words. He knew that he had done everything that God had called him to do, and so he said, it is what? It's finished. It is finished. I've accomplished what you've asked me to do. And sometimes we as believers can get so busy. You see, it's true about a church. 10 or 20% of the church does about 80 to 90 to 100% of the work. And about 80% of us only do about 20% of the work. I want this church to get to a place where each of us do our little bit or our large bit. doesn't matter. Whatever it is that you've been called by God to do. But each of us have a hand to lift to make this place a better place. You see, the depth... Now, this I love. The depth depth of our ministry far outweighs the breadth of it. I'm going to repeat that again. It's important. For you that come here, whether we grow to be a huge church or not, some say we're already big. I don't know. That's God's deal. But to, for us to grow this way is not relevant to me. For those that come here, I want us to grow deep. I want you to have a real mature understanding of your walk with Jesus Christ so that you know what you know what you believe and nobody can shake you from the core of who you are in Christ. And that takes depth, not breadth. And so some of you will want to do a lot. If God's called you to do a lot, so be it. But hopefully you'll be like me. I don't know how long I've been doing this. Darn it, my memory. More than 20 years, I bet. 10, ten here, 18 the other. That's 10 and 18 is more than 20. Isn't it? How much is 10 and 18? 28. 28. We verified it. 
I'm still not tired. I'm not. I'm old, but I'm not tired. If there's one thing I could do, I wouldn't pray for health. I would pray that I could be maybe 50 or 60 again and, and be with you for another 20, 30 years. I would love that more than you know. I would love to be a part and see what's going to happen in this church. But tired? No, not. Now, I'll go home this afternoon, 3 o'clock. I'm going to fall asleep whether I want to or not. <laughs> Just don't drive with me on Sunday afternoon at 3. We'll end up in a ditch. <laughs> I'm tired, but only because I'm old. When I was younger, over at Yorba and Friends, after I preached five times on a weekend, I'd go ride my bike for an hour to try and stay in shape. Now I try to sit in one place for an hour. <laughs> so I, I was going to make a very rude joke. Anyways, I want us to grow deep. You see, God in your life. <laughs> Thank God you're here, Mickey, because I look at you and I stop. I stop dead in my tracks. I can hear you say, no, don't, don't, John, stop, stop. I want you to know this. God always demands depth in your life, not breadth. God demands you to have a commitment in your walk with Him. He demands that you grow deep in your daily walk. He demands, demands a hard word. Maybe, I don't know. But, but he, he suggests strongly that you grow deep in your ministry, what He's called you to do. And He, and he commands or, or demands, demands a hard word. I'm not sure. I think He gives you the freedom. But, but I believe the Lord wants you to grow deep in, in your things that... that he wants you to. And I was thinking about, how do I close this? How do I close this message? And I was sitting at my desk, and my wife came in and said, what do you want for lunch? Ah. So I said, nothing right now. I'm still finishing. And I thought, you know what God wants from me more than anything else in the world? More than anything. You know what He wants? He wants me to love my wife. Men, those of you who are fortunate enough to be married, your ministry is your wife. Never forget it. Never, ever forget it. You're to love her with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Love your wife. Make sure that she knows and feels like the most loved person that walks the face of this earth and that nobody, nothing or nobody can get in between you and your love for your wife. You're to love her. The book tells us in Ephesians, like Jesus Christ, Love the church. And I've always explained love in this fashion. Love would be like this. This is me loving my wife. Love, love, love. Man, do I love my wife. Oh, I love you so much, honey. I love, I love you, love you. You like the way I'm loving you, honey? No, I don't. Huh? No, I don't like the way you're loving me. What do you mean? I'm doing it the best I know how. She says, I don't ever want it there. Where do you want me to love you? There. I got two responses to make, don't I? I'm doing the best I can. You don't like it. There's a door. Or, I've always wanted to love you here. This is where I've always wanted to love you anyway. And just love her. The only way you're going to know how to love your wife is to ask her. There's no book. There's no book on marriage. I know everybody gives books on marriages. Let me tell you, the only book you ought to read on marriage is the book that your wife has written. And if she hasn't written it, how... <laughs> That, if she hasn't written it, how in the world did that guy somewhere in Mississippi write a book about how you are to love your wife? He doesn't even know her. I tell you what. I could send you over to my house right now. You wouldn't know how to love Kay, but I do. 
I know what will make things so pleasant there this afternoon you wouldn't believe. And I also know how to get in a fight if I wanted to. I don't want to. But I don't know how to love your wife. you got to ask her. And then, most important, when she gives you the answer, do it. Do it. And when they put you in your casket, they're, gonna, they're not going to have to make a smile. You're going to have a smile on your face. Because the person that will make you the happiest in this earth is that woman that God has given you to marry. Men, love your wife. That's true. Well, that's all I have to say. <laughs> um, I love you guys so much. I do. I love you so much. I thank you for being here every week. So much fun to be a part of this church. I'm right on time. So let's close. Father, thank you for this morning. What a great day. Father, you give us such a beautiful uh, day. I, I pray you give uh, Arlene and her, her family and kids a safe trip back up to start uh, pray that uh, wherever you might take us today, Father, it would be just a very special, special day, and that we would love on one another. Father, I want to thank you for this privilege. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You know what just dawned on me? I might go through a whole series on marriage after we get through with this book. I haven't done that in years. I know some of you men are saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm supposed to love my wife. What about her? I, I, I won't make you wait, but let me just say, if you love your wife properly, She'll outlove you every time. Every time. But now I'm talking about two people who love the Lord. But I think I might do that. We'll see. We'll see. That might where we'll go afterwards. <laughs> I love you all. Have a great day. God bless you. Have a great, great day. Thanks for being here.